Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. The last sermon in our series on Revelation today, now. It's Revelation 22. So if you have a Bible, you can open there. All the verses will be on the screen later on. But first, we want to read the whole thing. There are many parts to this last chapter. You can feel the, the book wrapping up, the whole Bible wrapping up. And you'll, you'll see some verses in here that you know are familiar and you maybe wondered where they are. They're here in the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 21, the Word of God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, Let, and, the, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. 
Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for the conclusion of your word. We feel it. We sense the true meaning of the word closure. We probably misuse that word more than we use it correctly, but here we see the closure of all things. There's much here to understand. Help us with that and transform us by this understanding. We understand, Lord, that your word is not merely for information. You mean that when we read your word, when it's preached, when it's received, you mean to enact immediate change in the life of every hearer. We say yes to this. Bring this change, this immediate change to our hearts and minds through your word and bring glory to yourself through it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Water. So for people who live in or near a desert, like the people who received this book at first, they, they didn't have running water available in their homes via multiple taps, available 24 hours a day, every day. We have that. And so we don't feel what they felt when the word water was spoken. You need water to live. There is no life without water. Water is a big deal. Without water, all you have is death. Without water on earth, there is no life. Every once in a while, you hear a report on the news that there's the slightest evidence of the slightest amount of water on Mars. And it's a big deal because without water, there is no life. People ask the question, is there life on other planets? And scientists say, well, the actual question is, is there water on other planets? So water is life. And it's no wonder that the protagonist of creation, that the solitary star of the story told by the Holy Bible, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is described as and referred to as water and as a source of water, the water of life. In the heat of midday in the Middle East, a woman went to a well. We can read about it in John chapter 4. She represented the most marginalized of marginalized people. That's why she was there in the heat of the day. And she got Jesus to say this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we've come here as the church to worship for the same reason she went to that well. She sought physical water. We seek what she sought in that physical water because we are thirsty and there's nothing in this world and nothing in ourselves that will satisfy this spiritual thirst. We seek the water of life. And it doesn't matter how well life is going for us. Life wasn't going very well for her. Whether we had a good week or a bad week, 
a good life or a bad life as we would describe it. We know that all the things of life, the things we hope for, the things we want, the things we have, all of it is slipping through our fingers. We're going to lose it all. You get to keep nothing. It all goes away. We know that. And it's the kind of truth that makes us want to be lied to sometimes. You know, it hurts to be alive knowing that you're going to die. And, and it can ruin your, your appetite for life if you let it. And, and, and this, this truth, the fact that the richest, luscious parts of life can seem poor and dry like a Middle Eastern desert in the heat of day. This, this fact, this is our spiritual thirst. We're, we're thirsty for meaning. We're thirsty for breakthrough. We're, we're thirsty for hope. We're thirsty for something that makes sense in a world that makes no sense. And we acknowledge ourselves as part of that world, and we don't even make sense to ourselves. Spiritual thirst. We need, more than we need anything else, the water that Jesus is talking about here. That's why it says in the very beginning of the Bible this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Where there's God, there's, there's water. And not just the physical kind, not really the physical kind we drink from, from our plastic bottles and such. No, the spiritual kind that the physical kind serves as an illustration of. The spiritual kind that we thirst for every second of our human existence. The spiritual kind that the Bible says has only one source and no other. And that's Jesus Christ. He walked on it. He submitted to baptism by it. He changed it into wine. He told it to behave when it was forming into bad weather. It was used as an illustration of salvation when Moses commanded it to part when it was in the form of the Red Sea, water. It cleanses us. It refreshes us. Just read in the news recently that people who live near water are mentally healthier. That might explain some things, right? Because you're nowhere near the water. <laughs> so speaking of the news, I thought, you know, I had an hypothesis I, I said, I, I think that even this week, I can find a news article that illustrates the, the saving power of water, the necessity for water, how water makes the difference. And it didn't take me long to find it. I found it in goodnewsnetwork.org. And, and it's an article, and goodnewsnetwork.org is not necessarily Christian uh, website, because sometimes when we speak about Christian websites, we use good news because that's what the gospel means. This is literally about news that is good rather than bad. And we have all this news, all this news of mass murder, uh, you know, financial collapse, war. I'm praying for my two friends that are uh, pastors in Memphis, Pastor Rufus and Pastor George. Pray for them with me as they deal with the situation there. All of that bad news, tragic news, heartbreaking news. And so this website, and I think there are others like it, says, here's some news that's good. That's, that's positive. And so on this network, on this website, goodnewsnetwork.org, January 22nd, 2023, there's this article 
It's a down-to-earth article, and it has a number of parallels, I think, to biblical salvation, many possible tie-ins to how Jesus redeems us. There it is. Railroad workers were able to rescue a stricken male raccoon after it became frozen to the tracks, stuck fast by the hair on its underside. The animal was seen facing the oncoming train carriage as it straddled one side of the track. And here's a photo right there. You can just feel, right? So Neil Mullis was out on the job when he came across the poor little guy. This is the article I'm reading to you. The traumatized-looking raccoon was eventually rescued after a five-minute operation. Quote, I poured the warm water under his bottom while a co-worker worked the shovel under his butt and to try to break him loose, said the 35-year-old. After about five minutes of slowly working him loose, he was free. He jumped off the rail and ran in the woods, never looking back. Despite the rescue efforts from Neil and his colleagues, nobody could tell how or why the raccoon got into the predicament he was in. Here's a quote. I'm guessing because it was 10 degrees outside and somehow he was crossing over the rail and sat too long and got stuck. After inspecting the clumps of fur left to the rail, left stuck to the rail, Neil summed it up by saying, operation well performed. Little fella is safe now. And there is, a, there is a picture, it's kind of grainy, of the clumps of fur stuck to the rail. I'll just, I'll go back to the, to the little guy. But I just put that up there because I think some of us can relate because in the rescue op- operation that, that Jesus is performing in our lives, some of us, we leave clumps of fur stuck to the rail as well. And so we can relate to the whole thing. And I mean, we can relate to the whole thing. The water of life indeed, Right? And, and just think about the parallels here. Now, I know we're in Revelation chapter 22. It's the last book of the Bible, the last chapter, and it's grand and it's glorious beyond our imagination. It's heaven. It's holy. However, in this last chapter, the divine author reveals his purpose to save the elect reader like this raccoon from the oncoming train of judgment. You see it even here, even at the end. The Bible is written for a purpose, to save you, to redeem you, to rescue you, to rescue me. And that is the heart of God, and it shines through even here at the end. So, uh, you know, our sin has us stuck to the rail, right? No finer way to put it. And like that raccoon, we can't save ourselves, can we? No, we can't. And only the water of life, that is Jesus' death on the cross, can rescue us. And that's what it takes. Don't forget, it isn't pretty. You know, what God does for us through the death of his son seems too messy for God. Our natural religious tastes find the cross with all its humiliation and, and, and gore. Well, we find it offensive. So keep this in mind as we read forward these last words in Scripture. There are contained here a few words and and, and verses in this chapter that are just as basic and graphic as the story I read to you, maybe a bit more so. It can be surprising. One example is the reference to dogs in verse 15. Now, I know that that 
might break the heart of dog lovers. Well, relax, take a breath. I, the, the, the author it does not mean my chihuahua back home or your pit bull or your Morky or your Sweeney. I looked up a couple of these hybrid names now. There's so many of them. Most commentators believe that verse 15 is not a reference to canines at all, but a straightforward visual reference to human men engaged in sinful acts. And I'll say no more except to assure you that it is meant to represent all that is disgusting and vile, all that will not be found in heaven. And know this, that this is the word of God, and through to the very end of it, it's concerned with separating the righteous from the wicked, the clean from the unclean, the sacred from the profane. The line is drawn there. The world wants to blur it. Our culture wants to blur it, deny it, flip it. It cannot. God will not permit that, tolerate that, has no time for that. All the way here through to the end. Our sinfulness has us stuck on the rail between the sacred and the profane. And the Holy Spirit, via the double-edged sword that is the Word of God, well, sometimes he makes that double-edged sword that is the Word of God look a lot like a shovel in the hands of a railway worker. Amen? Thank God for his kindness. Thank God for his mercy. Again, to quote the man, operation well-performed, Little fella is safe now. You are the little fella. Me too. Amen? That's a good way to dig now a little deeper into these verses in the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So the angel's taking him on a tour, there's the water of life. It's key. It's a key image in Scripture from the beginning to the end. We're reminded of the cross still. God doesn't get over it. We're not past it. We certainly can never get past it in our Christian lives. The word lamb there reminds us of Christ's sacrifice, of his death. And this is central and will be central for eternity. Through the middle, so the, the, the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the water and the, the tree and the leaves, these are all images from uh, the totality of Scripture. And, and they tie together now all the rest of Scripture here at the end. Let me just show you how this works. So you see those verses? We'll see these from Ezekiel. Hear this. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You just saw that. And that reminds us of Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, verse 3, it says this, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit 
in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And this brings us all the way back to the beginning, to the second chapter of the whole Bible. It says this in verse 9, chapter 2, And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. So you, you see, when we get to the end of the Bible, it brings us right back to the beginning. We go through all this, the, the odyssey of human history, all the ups and downs, all the stories we read about in the Bible and all the stories we read about in the news that reflect the truth that we learn from the stories we read about in the Bible. And it all ties in. We go all this way just to make our way back home, home to heaven. And Revelation 22 describes to us what it's going to be like. Going back now to verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus began his ministry by talking about the pure in heart. The pure in heart shall see God. There it is. There it is. Promise kept. And, and now we get words from our tour guide angel, because remember that the angel is taking John on a tour of every believer's future. And so we hear from him, and then we hear from Jesus, and then we hear from John, because it's, it's like people signing off on a document at the end, one at a time. First, first the angel, and he said to me, and that me is John, so the angel's speaking to John, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then we hear Jesus saying, yeah, you know what he said about soon take place? This is what Jesus says. I behold, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, we see the book being spoken about, the word of God being spoken about, specifically the book of Revelation being spoken about. It's Integrity is being projected and protected here by the angel. And we're going to hear more about this. But now we hear directly from John next. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. At the end, still the theme we've seen throughout Scripture is sustained. No idolatry, no creature, no created thing may be worshipped. Only the Creator, only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? And we feel the finality of it as he says this. And it's a, it's a rebuke. Maybe that's too strong a word. It's a warm rebuke. It's followed by further instructions from the angel. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. 
Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. This is what too late sounds like and looks like. We're, we're getting to the part where it's over. There are no more second chances. And we all will arrive there. We will all cross that line with our own deaths, with the end of time. And we feel it here for all of humanity, for all of creation. This is it. Whatever people are doing, they're doing. Wherever they're at, they're at. Whatever their destiny is, so be it. That's what amen means. So be it. Again, he asserts Jesus. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That means he's all in all. You remember that, Alpha and Omega. Those are letter names, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the alphabet. I'm the A to Z. I'm it, the beginning and the end. Jesus is all in all. And that's enough, and yet he gives us more. He tells us more about himself. He said, seek first me and my kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. And we go through these different phases as Christians, as believers. At first, we want God to give us all this other stuff, and then we're sorry that we put all this other stuff before God, and we repent of it. And he doesn't give us all that other stuff, and at first, we're kind of angry at it, and because you didn't answer my prayer. And then we realize he didn't give us all that stuff, and that was his answer to prayer. That was his blessing. Thank God he didn't answer my prayer, and thank God that he knew better and now I don't want all that other stuff. All I want is him. Yesterday, the life of Augustine, not Augustine, Thomas Aquinas. The life of Thomas Aquinas was celebrated by many. And Thomas Aquinas is known for this story where he is meditating, he's praying, and God says to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want from me? And Thomas Aquinas says to him, you are enough. He had arrived at that point in life. You are enough. I don't need anything else. But God says, well, you're going to get everything else. And that's the amazing thing. I mean, as if being saved and in the presence of Christ is not enough of a reward, he adds to it. That's what recompense means. That's a reward. I I'm bringing my reward. You are our reward. Oh, I got more. Jesus always has, God always has more. Open your eyes to see it even in your life now. Even though you, like me, focus too much on the things you struggle with. Look away from those things for a moment and see all the different ways he's blessing you and thank him for it. And you might even forget what you're struggling with. And that might be the best thing, amen? That was a really, really meek amen. <laughs> amen, right? Amen. Yeah. It's good to forget the stuff you're worried about. It's good to forget the stuff you're angry about, you're anxious about. It's good to be overwhelmed and overtaken by God and who he is. His blessings flow. And again now, near the end, the line is drawn. 
the line. In the next two verses, we see folks on one side and folks on the other side of the line. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. It's a very plain, simple picture. We wash our robes. They're washed for us by the blood of Christ, by his death on the cross. That's how we get clean. We don't clean ourselves. We're cleansed by his sacrifice, made acceptable by what he presented to the Father on the cross. And then you have the other side of the line. I spoke about this earlier. Outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Another line from Thomas Aquinas, you can know who you are by what you love. What we love, we tend to practice. And the, the, this stark description feels out of place. Like, aren't we past this? Aren't we in the place of, of glory and holiness? And there's just nothing, nothing of the sort to even talk about anymore. But the Holy Spirit inspires the author of Revelation to make sure that at any point in the book, we are subject to be rescued. The line must be there. You must know the line is there. If the line is blurred, there is no salvation. There is no Savior. The line between heaven and hell, the line between the sacred and the profane, we're on the wrong side of it until Christ rescues us and redeems us. And he draws us. He brings us over to himself. We don't do it. He does it for us. That's what it means to be saved, delivered, redeemed, rescued. All the way to the end of the Bible, you see that the Bible is doing what the Bible was designed to do. Save you. Rescue you. Set you free. Sometimes you say, I love you to somebody, and those words are valuable to hear. They're great to hear when they're true and they're backed up by action. Here you see, you cannot deny the love of God. He wants you safe. He wants you well. He wants you on the right side of the line. He wants you in, not out. With him, not without him. Feel that. That's what your feelings are for. They were designed by your creator so you could feel this, so you could know this, so you acknowledge it in your spirit and say, I cannot deny the love of God for myself. I cannot deny that God loves me. And it's hard for some of us because we don't love ourselves and we hardly know what love means and we're... we're so much in the dark and so confused so much of the time. And the Word of God shines through it all. When God says, I love you, don't call him a liar. God loves you. You can't deny it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes. 
Amen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Again, he's folding in other parts of the scriptures, the story of David. He's the son of David, the story of how the Savior came to be through the generations. This is what the whole book is about. And it's coming to an end. It's coming to a close here. And here at the end, as part of this, we get the last invitation, the last call, the last command to his own to come to him and to drink the water of life. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I don't know how anyone can turn this down. Do you? How can, can you turn this down? Why would you? There's only a few more words left in the Bible. This is it. How do you respond? Would that raccoon have chosen to stay on the rail? Then why do you, if you do? When given the chance, he ran for safety. He ran home. Do the same now. Do it now. Let that be your response in your heart now. Say yes to this invitation. And we have a final warning, a sealing of the book of Revelation and really all of Scripture and a farewell amen or two. Here they are. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That's a powerful way to say, don't tamper with the word of God. Amen? And I have to tell you that there are many, many people who do tamper with the word of God. And they have the, the edu- we, there's, a, there's a similarity in education for all pastors who have the master's degrees and the doctoral degrees. We've studied the original languages. We, they say what they say. And it, I, I marvel at people who could say, well, those lines now are blurred. We are evolving in our understanding of morality as the Bible presents it. And we're flipping things. Now wicked is righteous and righteous is wicked. I don't, know how that, I don't know how that's possible. I don't know. I mean, you look and you're astounded. Do some study, do some deep study, and know that they read the same Greek. They read the same Hebrew. And come up with these conclusions about God and can read this. Like, I read that and I go, okay. I'm not going to mess with it. Right? And, you know, we, we mess with it not just if we add words to the book of Revelation or add something to it or take from it. We mess with it through heresy in general. That's adding to the truth in one way or another. We mess with it through apathy. It's Jesus plus nothing because if we plus something with Jesus, that's heresy. But it's also Jesus minus nothing. He's Lord. He's not less than Lord of your life. That's not an honorary title for him. That's his position in your life. That's his role in your life. He's Lord. 
Yes. Amen means so be it. The final words of Scripture. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Everyone say that together. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I don't believe that we can remain seated. I believe we must rise and we must give God and his word an ovation right now. Amen. We're here at the end. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we know that this is how it will be. There will be cheering and shouts of joy and such music and singing. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its conclusion. Thank you that you remain faithful, that you are faithful, that we can turn to you. I pray that there is not a single soul hearing this who turns away from you. That every single one of us says yes to the invitation to take of the water of life and to trust you, Jesus Christ, and no other as Savior. To trust what you've done on the cross to pay the price for our sins and nothing else for salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're grateful for all the many ways you care for us. We're grateful for all the many ways you warn us. The more we read scripture, the more we read your warnings, the more we feel your love. You care and you care more than we can imagine. And it's reflected in your word. And it's affirmed by your Holy Spirit who is in our midst now and we're grateful. Lord, minister to us as we need to be ministered to. Bring the healing to our hearts, to our minds, the assurance that we need, the perspective, the change in perspective that we need, bring that. Thank you, Lord. Continue to minister, continue to minister through your word, even as we sing your praises now. In your name, Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.